Today on Abounding Grace. Religion cannot break the chains of bondage in your life. Religion cannot give you the strength that you need to obey. Religion can't bring a prodigal son back. Religion can't save a marriage, but Jesus can. And he's the door, and he's the shepherd, and he's not the thief. He doesn't come to take. Jesus came to give. Don't forget that. Keep that in mind. And think about it, please, church, the next time a temptation to sin is placed before you. This is amazing grace. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and our continuing study of John's Gospel. What does the church really need today? Well, the answer in part is found in our study in chapter 10. I'll give you a little hint. By giving you the title of Pastor Ed's message, the church needs shepherds, not hirelings. We'll see a brilliant contrast of shepherds and hirelings in the minutes ahead of us. Notice the contrast in verse 10. The thief doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the problem with man-made religion and the problem with cults of any way. Religions are all man's endeavors to reach God even though it's impossible to bridge that infinite gap. It's so impossible to bridge that gap between God and man that God himself came down to us in human form to bring us to himself. Religion can't do that. Religion cannot break the chains of bondage in your life. Religion cannot give you the strength that you need to obey. Religion can't bring a prodigal son back. Religion can't save a marriage, but Jesus can. And he's the door, and he's the shepherd, and he's not the thief. He doesn't come to take. Jesus came to give. Don't forget that. Keep that in mind. And think about it, please, church, the next time a temptation to sin is placed before you. And it's so attractive, and you just sort of explain all this away, and I can handle this, and it's no big deal for you, for me, and I have freedom, and you can't tell me what to do. Hey, listen, just consider, if you start negotiating with the devil and exercising your freedoms in a way that take you away from the Lord, you got to understand where it's going to end. Unless there's repentance, you're going to lose it all. And that's that's not a good thing. And we'll be here for you. We'll be here to serve you and be here to encourage you and bring here. You get to that place like the prodigal son where you finally come to the end of your senses. Hey, go back home to your father in heaven. Submit yourself to him. And his pastors and leaders will help you get there. You see, Jesus came to give, not to take. And that's the true mark of the church today. That's one of the marks that makes the church different or should make the church different than every other organization on the earth. Jesus said, you'll know that, they'll know that you're my disciples by what? Your love for one another. And how is that love manifested? But by giving and not by taking. Jesus said, I've come to give you life. Notice verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. How do we know he's the good shepherd? Because the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's the true servant. 
The true servant of Jesus will give rather than take. That, that's what makes some of the false teachings out there, the faith, God, the prosperity gospel, they, they all talk about giving, but it's backwards. They talk about giving, and the giving is you give to me, and God will bless you. That is not the truth. A good shepherd has already given you and me everything. He's laid his life down for us. And to teach us that it is better to give than to receive in a very practical way. The true servant of God will minister rather than be seeking to be ministered to. He will serve instead of demanding to be served. He'll be more interested in the welfare of the flock of God than he is sometimes in his own welfare and his own status. And I think there's sometimes a misunderstanding when it comes to the church. Where you get saved and you're so excited that God has forgiven you. You're so excited that you're born again. That old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're so excited that God has redeemed you. He started the work of rescuing in you. That, that you are now can walk free and forgiven and there's no condemnation. I mean, you just are so excited. And whether you, you, know, you come here and you hook somebody, somebody connects with you that's not a part of our leadership and they start to he lay heavy burdens on you or you're listening on the radio somewhere and you plug into a local church but you come to find out that the local church is just legalistic and, and only emphasizing what you have to do and what you can't do. No, it's not that at all. You have life abundantly on a higher level than anyone else on the planet Earth. And surely, it's true, there are limitations placed upon our lives by the Word of God, by God Himself. But they're for our own good. Parents and grandparents, you can understand this. You can appreciate this. Where teachers, you, you place limitations upon the kids for their well-being and the well-being of others. I mean, I think about it. you got all the construction going on right now. You know, they're repaving all the roads, and I'm very grateful for that. But have you noticed that at, at a point, or oh, you're driving down Hampton or coming down Parker Road, there's a big sign that says, bump. Now, they put that sign there for a reason. It's a warning. Because sometimes they got that bump done really well, and other times, not so well. And they're telling you, warning. You're, you're cruising along like it's no big deal, but things are going to change in a moment. So slow down. And they should put, bump, we messed this one up. You know, something like that. It's like, okay, okay, I get it. Or, you know, when they dig through on that asphalt so much, the, the manhole covers stick out about this wide, man. And a couple of years ago, my son was driving and just popped the tire and completely ripped off his front just by hitting one of the manhole covers. There's a warning, all those construction signs, all those warning signs. Listen, I'm placing a limitation on you. You go, why, why? For your own good. Now, you may not be paying attention much to the bump signs, but if you're driving, you know, with your family on vacation and you know you're coming up on a bridge and there's a big orange sign that says, bridge out up ahead... I hope you're going to pay attention to that. I hope you don't do the opposite. Go, hey, honey, bridge out. Let's, let's go really fast and see how far we can make it. I mean, nobody lives their life like that, which is same. It's very true with the things of God. When you open up his word, it's like a mirror, and God's saying, hey, 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 listen. I love you. I care for you. And here's a sign for you. Up ahead, you got to avoid this. It's not good for you. It's not that finger pointing in your chest, you can't do this and start doing this. It's no. Now out of a love relationship, you change your life. I think of every man and woman that I've had the privilege of coming up on this stage or outside to join in holy matrimony before God and to think of the decisions that they're making. 
when they look each other in the eye, they are saying, and they say this verbally, I'm going to forsake all others for you. I mean, that's a pretty heavy limitation, don't you think? I mean, obviously our culture thinks it's no big deal. Our culture thinks now it can be whatever it is. But listen, God says that there's a limitation in marriage. One man, one woman, one lifetime. And we readily agree. We say, yes, I vow that. I have the ring to remind me. I have the love to inspire me. It's the same with God. It's the same in your love relationship with God. Be very so careful to know that God has given you now life on a higher plane, life at its best, the good, the bad, the right, the wrong, all woven together to make us stronger, better, more effective believers. We know that because the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 12. Great contrast now as we wind down. But he who is a hireling and not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hiring flees because he's a hireling. Don't you like the practicality of Jesus? So let's just have a little quiz here. Why does the hireling run away? Because he's a hireling. Good. A++. How do we know he's a hireling or she? Because he doesn't care for the sheep. The pulpit, the leadership of the church is not to be filled with hirelings. And gratefully and thankfully, we're surrounded by godly men and women in our own congregation that really have shepherd's heart. Do you know that if, when anyone comes on staff here, and what I mean by staff is paid staff, when anyone takes the tithes and offerings of the church and supports their own family, which is biblical, they, they, they come into my office for a final interview. Whether it's the school, whether it's a pastor, whether it's an administrative role, whether it is a, someone to answer the phone, we have the same exact interview in my office. And we go through a series of questions and discussions of things that have uh, knocked out people from the ministry over the years. Just things that we need to talk about, things that reflect to be above reproach. And one of them is the same. It's in every interview. We talk about, and I ask this question, what is a shepherd's heart? What's a pastor's heart? What does that mean to you? And then we have a discussion about that. And then once they describe it, I ask them, what do you have a pastor's heart? And it doesn't mean, it's pastor's hearts isn't just re reserved for pastors. And, and you go, wait a minute, Ed, why do I need to have a pastor's heart to answer the phone? Well, listen, listen. Anything related to the church of Jesus Christ in any way requires a pastor, not a hireling. We'd rather have voicemail answer the phone than someone that doesn't have a love of Jesus Christ that will have that sensitivity to the Spirit to listen on the phone and you know what? This person needs a little extra time and just let all the other phone calls go. Or this person needs a pastor right away or answering the phone or watching someone come in the front door and say, you know what? That just looks odd. I got to get some help. Why, do, why would they even see that? Because they care. They care for the sheep. A pastor's heart is reflected by a person's care for the sheep. It doesn't matter where you are and what you do. Everyone serving in children's ministry, a pastor's heart. Those that are serving our youth, a pastor's heart. Those that are making drinks or cooking meals in the cafe, a pastor's heart. Those that are finding that's what your church is surrounded. We don't need hirelings that, that the first sign of danger, they run away because they don't care about the sheep. They only care about themselves. That's the teaching of Jesus, not Calvary Chapel. Jesus taught us that. And unfortunately, 
There are a lot of hirelings in churches today. Fortunately, not here, although we've seen from time to time over the years a few. It's not for me to understand their motives, but I can say that it grieves me to see people in leadership so easily give up or so easily abandon the truth. I mean, can you think about it? Whole denominations that were once the bastion calling card, you know, the, the calling card of missions and revival and holy men and women of God went around the world preaching the gospel and waves and waves of awakening. Today, many of them have abandoned the word of God, have abandoned God, and have created a religion of their own making. Why? I suggest to you that somehow, somewhere, the leadership decided to just bring in hirelings and just let them do whatever they want with no care or concern for the sheep, only looking at it for themselves. A shepherd warns and protects as well as serves and cares. A shepherd, let me repeat that, warns and protects as well as serves and cares. You don't want to be a hireling. And when you're praying through, there's always also on our app and on our website, we have a list of the pastors and the staff on there. And when you're praying for them, I can say one thing you pray for us, that we don't become hirelings. That we don't turn a corner one day and start thinking of ourselves more highly than we think of God, the good shepherd, who gave his life for the sheep, and that we're his under-shepherds. We don't want to be hirelings. You can pray that specifically. You say, you know, Lord, I'm praying for Pastor Ed today, and please don't let him become a hireling. When you're praying through the prayer card of read and pray every day, and a pastor comes up, you can add that to your prayers. It would be disastrous. We would just be another empty building filled with people but making no spiritual impact. And who wants to do that? I don't. Jesus didn't die on the cross for me just to do my own thing. Jesus died on the cross that we can impact our city and bring the gospel to the lost and serve the flock well. Now, Jesus again, verse 14, says, I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. Those are words of relationship when you know someone. So it's not just that we know our shepherd's voice, but the good news is that he knows us. Because remember, in the day of judgment, there's going to be a surprised group there that are standing before Jesus, and what's he going to say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's a relationship. You could say, but I've been very religious. But no, that's not what Jesus, he says, no, I don't know you. You didn't know me. You haven't followed me. You didn't hear my voice. You followed man-made religion. And I called to you, and you refused. You went through all the motions, but you lacked the connection. He says in verse 16, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. See, I lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep. Now, you Bible students, who do you think this refers to? The Gentiles. You might want to rock, circle that. And other sheep, that phrase, and right next to it, Gentiles. You go, Ed, what does that mean? Well, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they'll hear my voice, and there'll be one flock and one shepherd. From the beginning of creation, it was God's heart to reach all mankind, not just the Jew. Even though Jesus has come to the lost sheep of Israel, that, just like Paul would write in Romans, uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe to the Jew first, 
but also to the Greek or the Gentile. The gospel's for the world. Whosoever will, let him come. And in the beginning ministry, all the way through the first portion of the book of Acts, the church was primarily Jewish. It was a Jewish church as the gospel went to the Jew first. And through persecution and the call of God, remember in Acts chapter 13, they came together to minister to the Lord, and God said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work in the ministry, sent out the missionaries. Paul becomes the missionary to the Gentiles. His heart broke for the Jew. You remember in the book of Romans, Paul said, hey, I would rather die and go to hell if it meant that my fellow Jews would be saved. I mean, he was willing to give up everything. He had such a heart for the Jew. And the gospel came to the Jew in the form of Jesus Christ himself, and they rejected him. And what did God do? He turned his attention to the Gentiles. Now, I want you to know there's three categories of people on the earth today and have always been. The Jew, the non-Jew or the Gentile, and the church. The church is made up of saved Jews and Gentiles, where they are one flock with one shepherd. And Jesus is predicting that, and there's a larger work. Now, don't misunderstand the one flock, one shepherd, as if God has given up on the Jewish people, turned his back upon them, and now, as some people falsely teach, the church has replaced Israel. The church hasn't replaced Israel. There's coming a day, the Bible says, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that time where God's attention now, I mean, if I had everybody raise their hand, are you a Gentile? Every, almost every hand in here would. Not everyone, but most every hand would go, yeah, I'm a Gentile. I'm a non-Jewish person. Well, God has had an outpouring of his spirit upon the non-Jewish population. And there's coming a time when that last Gentile gets saved. We don't know when it is, but the fullness of the Gentile, God knows that group where that last Gentile gets saved, the rapture of the church takes place, and then for seven years, God turns his attention to the Jewish people and an overwhelming revival that all believing Jews will be saved. The blinders will come off. There'll be 144,000 evangelists going up and down all throughout the world, throughout that area, preaching the gospel, a massive outpouring on the Jewish people, every Jewish person that believes and God is not done with the Jew. He will soon turn his attention again to the Jewish people. But isn't it cool to be a part of, I just thought of, just new outreach that we have to Israel to support the Messianic congregations in reaching Israel and blessing Israel. It's just amazing to be a part of what God's doing, both to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Other sheep are coming. But, but I also thought of it this way. There are other churches in our city. Did you know that? Other great, wonderful churches with pastors and leaders that are doing the work of the ministry, that love our city and love our neighborhood. Church planters are, are, are moving here. They, they have a calling to, to reach our city. And, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking of the churches that believe in the truth. I'm speaking of the churches that believe in the true deity of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, his life, death, and resurrection, that, that perhaps might differ from us in how their philosophy of ministry is, or maybe a few things secondarily on some points of, of theology, but not the essentials. 
And I, I just want to publicly say I'm very thankful for the many churches in our city that are reaching the lost and serving in our community. I'm very thankful because there's a lot of different churches. You know why? Because there's a lot of different people. And knowing as a pastor that Calvary isn't for everyone, there are a lot of great churches within our community that will love you and care for you, and they're reaching your neighbors right now. I mean, wouldn't you be glad your neighbor gets saved? You're like, yeah, that's awesome. And then you're like, I should have shared the gospel with them. I know. <laughs> that's why you have them, to love on them and have, take a pie to them with a little track inside. And uh, however you want to reach them, just love them in Jesus' name, you know? But we're not in competition with any church in town. I'm happy when I hear churches doing great things. I'm happy when I hear people are getting saved. I'm happy when a new building goes up and a church is flourishing and growing. We're not in competition. Why? Because we are one flock with one shepherd. And we come together. And, you know, I, I, we have a philosophy of ministry here. We have distinctives that make us who we are. I'm unashamed about those. I stand fast upon them. I, I believe what the Bible teaches, and, and I share that with you. I'm unapologetic about that. And at the same time, I'm just very happy there's a lot going on in our city. There's a lot of people praying for the police officers. There's a lot of people praying for the, the, the firefighters and the paramedics. And the, there's a lot going on in our city, and we would do well to pray for the churches in our city. You know, if you happen to live by a church that maybe is off or teaches false teaching, you can pray for them too. Just pray differently. <laughs> it's like, Lord, give them new leaders. You know, open their eyes. Seems to be so many people there. Lord, just shut down the false teaching and open the door for a good teaching. I mean, you never know. I mean, geez, the Lord sent Jonah to Nineveh. The whole city repented. I mean, that's pretty powerful. You're like, wow, Jonah didn't even want to go. And God said, I'm going to do a work there in that city just go and don't run away. You know, that in Jonah you just learned, don't run away because God will catch you. So don't do that. He'll send a fish. You know, you're out in the reservoir and you go, what's this big fish? Are you running away from God? You know, don't run away from God. Unity is found at the foot of the cross. And so if you're finding that there's disunity in your life, don't try to solve the problem. Go to the foot of the cross and pray that that person or those people will meet you there because that's where true unity is. We don't create unity. We don't have big unity rallies. Come on, everybody. Let's all the churches get together and tell the world that we're in unity and we're all one. Let's get this ecumenical. It doesn't really matter what we believe. No, it does matter. And the way that we show that we're unity is that by our love for one another, the love that's inspired by the Spirit. This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of John's Gospel right now. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, too. Pastor Ed, our pick of the month is How to Break a Stubborn Habit by Erwin Lutzer. And I think it's safe to say we all have stubborn habits. How might the Lord use this to encourage our listeners' lives? Well, you know, Larry, this is one of those books that is a classic around here at Calvary. Not a classic in the traditional sense, like it goes way back to the 1800s. It's about 15 years old, and it was originally published under the title Getting to Know, N-O. And I'm seeing on the updated version over 250,000 copies 
of this book have been distributed. And it's just one of those books that we're going to continue to recommend because I think that when it comes to stubborn habits, uh, folks just feel under the weight of them and you, you don't think you're going to have any way out. I mean, you've prayed, you've surrendered your sin to God, and it's still hanging on. And so in this book, you're going to learn the three essential ground rules you need to accept in order to truly change. You're going to learn the secret to dismissing tempting thoughts rather than rehearsing them all the time. And then you're going to learn the roles of God, Satan, and your loved ones in your success or failure. Look, God wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to enjoy life to its fullest. Jesus called that abundant life. And this little resource is an essential for your spiritual library, where you, whether you get it through the ministry here to support us or you get it wherever books are sold, please get it and grow in grace. We'll keep recommending, you keep getting and following through, and I'm telling you, God will grow you in His grace and in His goodness. To request a copy of How to Break a Stubborn Habit, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryco.store. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from the Gospel of John. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.